So how will the General Assembly's just-concluded 2016 session affect Hoosiers' daily lives? Well, some things won't change at all. Retailers still won't be able to sell alcohol on Sunday. Most Hoosiers still won't need a prescription to buy cold remedies containing the main ingredient in meth. And Indiana's civil rights law still won't protect members of the LGBT community. On the other hand, schools and teachers won't be held accountable for last year's disappointing I-STEP scores. Daily fantasy sports contests like DraftKings and FanDuel will be regulated as games of skill. And motorists should notice at least a temporary uptick in road and bridge repairs. Hi, I'm John Chuanis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, we'll take stock in a bit more detail of what did and what didn't pass this session. Joining me for the exercise will be the leaders of the General Assembly's four legislative caucuses. First, though, this report from Christopher Ayers of WFYI Public Media. It's been two short months since Governor Pence stepped to the lectern inside the Indiana House chamber, laying out his legislative agenda and unofficially kicking off the 2016 session. Now as the middle of March approaches, state lawmakers are packing up and heading home as the short session draws to a close. It's worth asking then, with the election season looming, what big issues were tackled, or in some cases not tackled, by the General Assembly this year. First, what did the legislature get around to addressing? Right off the bat, lawmakers passed and the governor signed a bill that holds educators harmless for last year's I-STEP scores. Those scores dipped across the board after the Department of Education redesigned the test to conform to new education standards. Both chambers took up separate road funding measures, leading to the question to raise or not to raise taxes. Lawmakers also addressed a multitude of other issues, abortion, methamphetamine, criminal sentencing, and daily fantasy sports, all got plenty of attention. But this session could be remembered for something the legislature declined to take up, that being a vote on whether or not LGBT Hoosiers should be protected under the state civil rights code. After months of speculation that lawmakers might pass the measure to right the ship after last year's RIFRA debacle, the Senate in mid-February declined to bring the bill up for a vote. So now legislators turn to campaigning ahead of the primary in May, then summer study committees should provide a brief respite before election season truly begins. For Indiana Lawmakers, I'm Christopher Ayers. Thanks, Christopher. Back in a moment with our weekly roundtable discussion. Indiana Lawmakers, from the State House to your house. Purdue startups speak modalities, helping children and families coping with nonverbal autism to develop communication skills, helping people changing lives. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org. Ten weeks ago, we began Indiana Lawmakers 2016 season with the General Assembly's caucus leaders joining us to outline their priorities for the session ahead. It's only fitting that they would return to offer their assessments at this, the conclusion of the session, a so-called short session made even shorter by the Big Ten basketball tournament's need for the legislators' hotel rooms. I am pleased to welcome back Republican Representative Brian Bosma of Indianapolis, Speaker of the Indiana House of Representatives, Democratic Representative Scott Pilath of Michigan City, the Minority Leader of the House, Republican Senator Brant Hirschman of Buck Creek, the Senate's Majority Floor Leader, and Democratic Senator Tim Lannon of Anderson, the Senate's Minority Floor Leader. You know, as I, if I thought about it, we could have offered cots, because there's a lot of room here in the studio. You guys could have bedded down for the last few nights. But I guess you don't need the extra time. It appears that things are coming together. And in that regard, I should point out, full disclosure, as we tape this, 
There are still a few hours left uh, in this session before it is gaveled, uh, adjourned, sine die. So if you hear out there listening or, or viewing <laughs> some weird verb tenses, now we know why. What's the takeaway from this session, Brian Bosma? Well, we were here 10 weeks ago and uh, had common goals in many ways. There were a few different ones, but we wanted to address roads. We wanted to address some education issues. We wanted to address the meth and heroin outbreak uh, in our state. And it appears that today we're going to be able to do that. Uh, 1001, the roads bill, takes ideas from each, each of the caucuses and the governor and uh, puts into place a temporary but strong uh, road funding program. Uh, we've, uh, I think we're going to have our teacher uh, scholarship for uh, the best students to go into the teaching profession. We've solved I-STEP issues that for now. That was a bill, of course, near and dear to your heart. <laughs> right, it, it absolutely. Your name uh, and, the uh, and we've addressed meth and heroin. So uh, we're going to have some differences, some takeaways. Not all that was unanimous, but much of it was. And uh, Hoosiers should be proud of their, of their General Assembly for working together. Unlike Washington, uh, we're able to accomplish uh, things. Even when we disagree, we're able to do so. Scott Pilaf, people should be proud, do you think? Well, let's, let's not be too over-exuberant in our praise, <laughs> but, but uh, I'll start off with a couple of positive things. One, the, the roads bill. Um, it's not the be-all, end-all, but it's a positive first step. And this was the first time that I can recall that all four caucuses and the governor put out a roads funding plan and offered it up for criticism. And candidly, if you took um, the best points of all the plans and you um, took some of the criticism seriously, I think you would have wound up with a work product that was pretty close to what we're going to be voting on and is probably going to be enacted. What? So I, th I, think that's, I think that that's a positive. Other thing, that the speaker mentioned uh, methamphetamine, um, and I was actually walking up to talk to him yesterday on the House floor, and I happened to glance up at the board as the vote on the pseudoephedrine bill was going through, and I said, Hey, you, that didn't pass without the Democrats. I say that as a point that that was a, that was a that was a bipartisan action taken. I think it was common sense. Um, so a couple of positives there. I suspect we'll take the remainder of the show to talk about some of the differences. But the people of you Indiana, know me well. yeah, <laughs> the people of Indiana should know that 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 we can function when necessary. Well, one thing you, I'm guessing you liked about the road bill, a good point, it didn't have a tax increase, at least at the state level. That was something you were adamant against. Actually put you at odds with Brian Bosma sitting across right. from you here. But in a strange twist of fate, perhaps, it put you in an alliance with Brent Hirschman. Uh, and it, that was part of the story of this session, it seemed to me, was some of the uh, unusual coalitions that, that sprung up on this issue and others. Uh, your take on the session? Well, I think that's true, and I think Brian's right. Uh, Scott is as well. We do find many opportunities to compromise. I think uh, well over half of our bills passed were unanimous. We took 800 bills, winnowed them down to about 100 laws or so in 10 weeks' time. More than half of the bills were unanimous. More than 90% of them were bipartisan, and they make a real difference in Hoosiers' lives. Pleased to uh, carry a bill for the minority leader and to co-author uh, co bill with uh, minority leader Lannon. There are a lot of things that as Hoosiers we can agree upon. I'm very proud of that. Uh, the transportation bill is a great example. These are difficult issues that we're struggling with all over the nation. We were able to come together and find a very strong consensus that's going to put a great deal of money into our infrastructure and help our competitiveness. Those are the kind of things we should be working on and being able to do so together. Now, it did on some of those issues, though. Uh, it appears they're resolved now, but they came down to, as they always do, the final hours. 
Well, of course, that's the way the legislature tends to Deadlines function, tend to, and so uh, it's to not drive surprising. Uh, I, I mean, uh, as we speak, there's still several hours to go, so actually we're in a pretty good position because I think most of these issues are pretty much resolved. You know, my analysis of it, uh, of these major issues, transportation, I step, I'm going to throw civil, the Civil Rights Act in there. Sure. And uh, I would say we've done a pretty good job of kicking the can down the road. Uh, we did come up with some temporary solutions on ISTEP. Basically, we came up with a solution that uh, Glenda Ritz and uh, Senator Stoops and our caucus proposed back in November as far as what to do uh, on a temporary basis. But we're going to take a look at what we're going to do long term as far as replacing ISTEP. You were like, talking about holding the schools and teachers harmless. The whole harmless. Uh, force, that's right. The, the diminished scores last Which uh, we did in two weeks. We did that's, that's, those that's, are the very first correct. things that the governor signed, right? right? I mean, yeah. within in January, if I'm not mistaken. Right. On the sustainability of our infrastructure, uh, there just wasn't going to be consensus uh, among the majority party there as, as, as to a, uh, a long term plan. So, again, I understand we're going to form some sort of a super committee or something to take a look at that, and that's fine. Uh, Civil Rights Act, a big goose egg. Uh, we did nothing. So, uh, you know, I, I think we, some individual bills, as uh, Senator Hirschman has talked about, are very good, very good. But as far as those three major issues, I would say we pretty much, you know, are waiting for another day to address those. And when you're talking about the Civil Rights Act, of course, you're talking about your desire to see it extended protection right. to the LGBT community, exactly. which obviously uh, uh, there had been thinking that that would uh, perhaps uh, uh, get to the governor's desk in some fashion this year, but it was ultimately withdrawn. Surprising to, to any of you about that? No, this issue will take time. Uh, it, it will take time for Hoosiers to come to grips with it. Uh, it will take time for those who represent Hoosiers uh, to uh, come to grips with it. I have complimented the Senate. I think they, uh, they address the issue with grace and dignity, all sides, uh, not, not just the legislators, but to Hoosiers that had strong opinions on both sides. Difficult balance to find to protect uh, freedom of conscience and religious liberty and the balance with non-discrimination. So it was, it was a Great first effort, good discourse, and uh, it'll be discussed for years to come. I'm well, sure. Some would say it was a second crack at it uh, after right. last Absolutely. year in the Riffer debate. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I guess if there's a sure bet in all of this, it's that this issue will be back. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be back. You know, as as representatives of the people, you know, we're 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 judged. Are we ahead of where we're there, where they're at? Are we in step with where the people are? Or are we lagging behind? And this is a very difficult juncture we're in. You watch the two presidential races, the, you know, there's plate tectonics. Um, things are shifting beneath our feet. I, you know, I've always argued and continue to do so. I think the people, by and large, have already embraced um, civil rights protections right. for our LGBT community. I believe that they will in even greater proportions in the future. And I simply urge my colleagues across the aisle, uh, you know, you can you can embrace the change right now, or you can find that you've been left behind in the future. And uh, it's not it's not too late for them to change, but it's certainly not too early. One thing that, that Brian Bosma has mentioned, I think, in fact, the last time you were sitting in that chair on this show, is that you already have 42, 45 percent of, of Hoosiers in mostly urban areas who are have this protection. Brent Hirschman, is that? Is that good enough? If uh, you take the home rule theory uh, to heart, well, then people who want it have it. Well, I think it's worthwhile to have the debate on a state level, uh, regardless of actions within individual communities. It does give you a sense of the feeling around the state. But I think uh, one of the things that 
really wasn't looked at, the, the overheated rhetoric of the special interest groups on both sides of this debate were not helpful towards driving consensus on the issue. Obviously, strongly held opinions on both sides, and these are core constitutional values that have come into some conflict. It's a difficult problem to work through, but I appreciate what the speaker says. Senate tried to do so in a reasonable, dignified manner. Some of the things going on out in the hallway and out in the, the communities were pretty disappointing, and I don't think they helped drive consensus. But, but you can't ignore the fact that there's an issue here as to the state's reputation. And where does the state of Indiana as a whole stand on this issue? And so uh, the failure of us to act this year, I think, is, is unfortunate. The issue might be, what are we going to do between now and next year? I, I assume we're going to probably have at least some proposal for us to continue to study this over the summer. I don't know if, if leadership will agree to do that or not. Uh, it seemed like there was the suggestion, oh, we need more time. We need to study this issue some more. Well, then let's do that. And let's be prepared next year. Uh, the fact that, that, as you're saying, John, almost 50% of the, of the state locally is saying this is something they embrace raises the issue, why as a state aren't we committed to doing this? We need to do this. Well, answer his question. Are, are you prepared to uh, commit to some sort of study committee? Uh, I don't know what the vehicle would be, but something that would keep this... I'm committed to getting through the General Assembly in the next 12 hours. So we'll worry about what we study this summer afterwards. The, the uh, caucus leaders collaborate on this. We'll, we'll discuss it, and, uh, and, and we'll see. It may very well be a proper topic for the summer. You, know, you talked about some of the heated rhetoric on, on this issue and some of the tension. We saw a flavor of that this week also with the abortion issues, uh, so one which, of course, would prevent... Uh, women from uh, proceeding with an abortion based on sex, gender, or gender ancestry, ethnicity, uh, or the potential for a fetal abnormality. Uh, only the second state in the country after North Dakota, if in fact the governor signs that. How uh, it was some heated uh, debate. Certainly, some, maybe not heated, but certainly some emotion, passion, emotional, emotional, emotional. emotional. It's it's and, and, it, and it always is, and it is right. for good reason. Uh, I get very frustrated with, with these abortion discussions because we all know where this story ends. Now, the speaker may disagree, but ordinarily these bills get passed. Um, members have the satisfaction of going back and telling their constituencies that they voted for them, and then they go straight to federal court and they get overturned. Right. I mean, we have, to, we have to acknowledge that it's largely the courts that um, shape abortion policy in this country. That it, I, I do wish that we can find it within our hearts one day not to subject the chambers to these debates when that's really where the, the things end up being decided in our courts. The other thing, you know, we had, we, had time for, we had time for reproductive rights discussions, but we didn't have time for civil rights discussions. I think that's a tough argument to make going into a general election of why you chose one thing and not the other, but the people will get to decide these things. Gentlemen, I mean... I'm, I'm uh, going to add one thing. So there are many, Scott, and I respect your opinion on this, mm -hmm. and I agree that this is... For some people, it's a moral issue. For some, it's a religious issue. For some, it's a personal issue because of personal experiences. So it is the hardest... I believe it's the hardest issue to deal with at the and General Assembly. You took the Assembly. unusual step as Speaker of voting. You were no, with the 60-40 uh, majority uh, on this. Because I, I just have to tell you that it's my position, and I understand everybody's going to have their own position on this, that an unborn child has civil rights, too. Uh, the second that child is, is born, there's no argument 
that they have civil rights and they're protected by the Constitution. So we, we are delivering children that live at 18, 19 weeks. So at what point does that child have a constitutional right? I get it. You it has to be balanced with the mother's rights. You acknowledge, as well. though, uh, after the vote that it might be unconstitutional, correct? I, I agree. This this one this one was this, the House passed a bill that had some consensus. Senate passed the second bill that we're speaking of now. They got combined in the Senate because the one didn't have a hearing in the House. It wasn't ideal. There's no doubt about that. But it it is what it is, and people wanted to vote on it. The bill's clearly unconstitutional. That's why there was a severability clause put into it, obviously, which is a waste of our time and a waste of the taxpayers' dollars in terms of defending these actions in court. So that's what's frustrating about this. Let me address what you said, Mr. Speaker. If, if the unborn have civil rights, certainly uh, the LGBT community has rights, too. And so you, I get that, should have, but, should but have they're been being killed. Addressed. I, I'm so. not saying that there isn't discrimination in employment, housing, and we need to address these things. But, but we have to acknowledge that, that we've, we've lost 30, I think the number is 35 million children uh, to abortion. And I, I'm not trying to get in a big debate about it, but it, it has a different flavor for a lot of people. Brent Hirschman, you should weigh in too because uh, the Senate was very vocal on this issue, was last year when the House didn't even hear similar legislation. These are, these are always very difficult debates. Uh, I've often said the General Assembly does not create the culture. We reflect it. And these are issues of deeply held division between people and the general public and weighing very difficult issues. And so the debate in itself is a healthy thing. What, what the courts do, um, courts can be as political as general assemblies can and, and really reflects the attitude of whatever particular judge hears it. So it's hard to tell, but I think the discussion, whether in the, at the judicial branch or in the legislative, is worthy to have because these are serious issues. We talked about certainly the uh, the issues that were on all of your agendas heading into this, uh, and we, the obvious the big ones, the roads, I-step, and curbing illegal drugs. We talked about abortion, but daily fantasy sports regulation, canned hunts, that's been an issue that's been boiling for 10 years. Uh, police body camera, really, how medical the, the video, medical malpractice yeah. caps. Were you looking at my list? <laughs> no, I wasn't. That raised for the first time since 1998. Right. Uh, yeah. Solid Waste Management District uh, changes in regulation. Adoption records opened uh, prior to 1994. You did get some uh, time to do other things, this, apparently. This is part of the reason why I said the, the public is well served by the Indiana General Assembly. And I'm not talking, you know, Republicans. I'm talking Republicans and Democrats alike. And we solved a lot of issues. That medical malpractice right. uh, statute has been critical for patients in this state and for the availability of health care to Hoosiers for the last 35 years. And if we didn't fix that this year, it, it likely would have been overturned. It was not on anybody's agenda except no. Senate Republicans. And yep. no, in fact, none of these I just mentioned. Where, well, how come if they're so important and everybody can do such great work on them, they're never in anybody's people, agenda? People can't remember more than three to five things. That's why we're so down. If they're, yeah, you can't say my agenda is 15 things. It's got to be three, five, something like that. I, I, I want to raise an issue, though, that, that has finally emerged and it should emerge. Uh, we had a vote in the House regarding the after effects of Carrier Corporation leaving yes. Indiana. Right. And uh, House Democrats, uh, Representative Macer, offered an amendment um, that would simply not reward Carrier Corporation anymore after they've already turned tail on our state and left. And that passed in bipartisan fashion. Now, it doesn't look like it's going to make it into law, but that opens up an important point and a new one of possible convergence and realignment between the two parties, we have to deal with the implications of trade right. on our state. 
And that's something to look towards the future because you see likely the nominees of the two major parties are not going to have the trade positions as nominees in the past, and that's going to be reflected here in Indiana. It's one thing to cultivate a good business environment, but we're going to have to deal um, with the, uh, the after effects of massive job realignments and massive job losses because of things that neither state government nor the people themselves can control. Well, you're talking I about coalitions that, that brought Donald exactly. Trump and uh, Bernie well, Sanders together even. And, so and, and it should possible. on the federal level, but as far as the state, Indiana is an extraordinarily heavily export-dependent economy. And we need to welcome businesses into this state. So, And, and we're seeing a 4.4% unemployment right. rate, historic low. What that says is that good companies creating good jobs are here so that when one company makes a very short-sighted decision, that there's plenty of opportunities for Hoosier workers to say, we're going to get a better job at a better company who appreciates us more. And we've done that. In the case of Carrier, I, I give Indiana great credit. Not one dollar of incentive that has been given to Carrier is leaving town with them. But they state, paid every state and, local. State and state locally. And local. They paid every dollar but back. But people are frustrated. They see uh, corporations being granted these incentives uh, to create jobs, and then the jobs either aren't created or they're created and then they're taken away. And I, I live in a community where for years and years we saw nothing but plant shutdowns after they had received tax abatement after tax abatement. Uh, carry the same situation. They, re they took the, the training dollars, they took what other incentives were out there, and then they took their 2,100 jobs and moved them to Mexico because they could pay their workers $3 an hour. Now, unless, you know, well, that shouldn't be the policy of the state of Indiana that we're going to try to compete with $3 an hour jobs. I well, think the public's sort so of that, fed that up with that. That's at 10 years old, yeah. uh, respectfully. And, and it's it, hurt, Indiana it's hurt is communities number one for in the Midwest and in the top five list of every, uh, whether it's tax foundation or Area Development Magazine, Forbes, we're in the top handful in the nation of the business environment here. Companies are flocking here from California, uh, Illinois, Ohio, Germany. And so I, I don't disagree, Tim, with what you're saying, that there are some, some actors that, and we need to review our policies, but we are enjoying just an absolute renaissance of economic uh, activity here. Well, you wonder what the state could do uh, regardless. I mean, it strikes me in some ways this might be as the Syrian immigrant issue that just went to federal court. I mean, certain issues uh, about jobs migrating, as Carrier puts it, overseas. I mean, what realistically can the state of Indiana do other than say bad, bad, bad? Well, it's very, very simple. We proposed it. One, no more goodies. I will say that it, it was my caucus that began the fight for clawbacks, um, tax incentives that are given, and the jobs not created. And the people right. of Indiana should get their money back when that happens. The other thing, corporate taxes are due to go down. Why should Carrier continue to get corporate tax cuts in the future when they're turning tail on Indiana, unpatriotically, I might add? And yeah. I know that's a strong word, but I think that we need to start saying it's unpatriotic. Yeah. Companies are either committed to this country or they're not. Brand Hirschman's nodding for those listening yeah. on the yeah, radio. No, I, I would absolutely agree, but I think the bigger problem, Indiana has done 
everything it can to be an attractive business uh, climate. But that's one layer. The overall layer is federal policy. That's right. We have the highest corporate tax rate in the world. I ran the numbers. When Carrier leaves, there's a labor cost problem. There's also a 15% cut in their tax rate the minute they leave town. And this isn't a partisan issue. President Obama has called for corporate tax reform at the federal level. They haven't been able to get done what we've been able to get done here. I think we would see billions of dollars brought back in investment and millions of jobs created in this state if the federal government had stopped spending money and lowered the federal corporate tax rate. Oh, so much more to talk about, but I think the uh, Big Ten tournament fans are banging at the door running <laughs> your hotel room, so we unfortunately are going to have to call it quits. I do appreciate your willingness to come back for the second time this session Thanks, and John. talk about the important issues facing our state. Again, my guests have been Republican Representative Brian Bosma of Indianapolis, Democratic Representative Scott Pilath of Michigan City, Republican Senator Brand Hirschman of Buck Creek, and Democratic Senator Tim Lannon of Anderson. The 2016 General Assembly has wrapped up another session. We'll wrap up our season with the journalist who covered it on the season finale of Indiana Lawmakers. Time now for our weekly conversation with Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight. <sighs> Got to take a deep breath. We were there almost. Ed, the LGBT issue, which turned out to not be the dominant issue we thought it would be, I listed a lot of things that got done this session. Would they have gotten done? Had LGBT been hanging over uh, the debate? Well, I think that probably would have sucked the oxygen out of, the, out of both chambers, out of, out of the entire state house. It was very difficult to, to kind of approach some of these things even before that issue came to the, the fore and, and not the floor because everybody was kind of apprehensive and wondering about how to strategize on some of these things process-wise. You know, should we bring this down now or will the, uh, the civil rights and, and religious liberties debate get in the way. How do we handle this procedurally? And I, I think that once that went off the table, everybody kind of took one big sigh of relief and said, hey, we can get some other things done now. And they did. And of course, now the abortion debate did have a flavor of what we would have seen or did see with LGBT in terms of the very similar battle lines, uh, conservative versus uh, more progressive. Where did that issue come from? That wasn't on anybody's agenda. I think that was another one of those things that was, was processed um, in, in terms of, of how it came down. And, and the way that that ended up coming down on, on literally the penultimate day of the session uh, kind of disappointed a lot of legislators and actually um, changed a lot of votes. Um, I think people weren't quite expecting that, that there would be a concurrence motion on something that the House had not had an opportunity to I don't even want to say fully vet. They hadn't even looked at that language at all during the session. It was perhaps the most controversial bill of the session when you look at the, the elements that Speaker Bosma alluded to in terms of, of personal conscience and, and all the different things that were wrapped up in that. And as a result, you had some, some legislators like Representative Sharon Nagel, Representative Holly Sullivan, who had been strongly pro-life, really never voted for a, a any kind of, of bill that had a, a pro-choice element in it that got up and, and gave impassioned speeches on the floor among the 11 female lawmakers that, that were up there on Wednesday afternoon speaking about this, and they voted against it because of the way that it came to the floor, because they didn't have an opportunity for debate. And even though the, the bill overwhelmingly passed, 60 to 40, I think that, that there's a lesson in that for some of the, the leaders when we look to the future. Now, is that an aberration, do you think, in terms of uh, this perhaps disregard for formal procedure, or are we seeing more and more of this? Well, I don't know that it's, it's a disregard for formal procedure. and we, we typically see some of this in, in terms of conference committee deliberations where, 
for things end up in, in conference committee reports that, gee, we just... The old germaneness. Not, uh, yeah, and that, that, that seem to have come up for the first time. But, but typically, they're, they're not of the, the same kind of, of controversial nature and the, the kinds of, of issues of conscience like this one. So they're, they're, they don't quite rise to the same level. Very good, Ed. As always, thanks for your insight. For more information, streaming episodes, and extra content, go to wfyi.org lawmakers. You can also visit us at WFYI on Facebook and Twitter. Use hashtag Indiana Lawmakers. You can access live streaming coverage of the General Assembly on the Internet as well. And remember, you can get our show on demand from Xfinity and Bright House Networks. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Chuanis, and on behalf of WFYI Public Media, Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, and my colleagues Ed Feigenbaum and Christopher Ayers, I thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit WFYI.org for more on the 2016 session. Until next week, take care. The Visual Analytics Law Enforcement Toolkit, or Valet, developed at Purdue University, brings critical data and analytics to police departments instantly, so officers are a step ahead of criminal activity. To learn more, visit otc-prf.org.